Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is August 9th, 2011, and this is episode 720. And we've got a great show today. One of the most requested guests and one of the guests that I've most wanted to have on. I uh, have Jason Fields. He's one of the Urban Farming Guys from the UrbanFarmingGuys.com. The work these people are doing is amazing, both in the development of sustainable agriculture, sustainable fuel production, uh, but really in neighborhood transformation. You know, we always talk about if there's ever really a bad time, you know, things get really bad to get out of the cities. These guys are going into the cities to try to prevent the breakdown in the first place and restore places where things have already broken down. When you hear the story of what these people are doing, you'll be amazing. I was kind of uh, surprised to find out myself, this is not just a few people. This is 20 families who have moved to one of the most crime-ridden areas of Kansas City and are changing it for the better in a remarkable way. I'll have Jason on in just a moment, and I think you'll be blown away by what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. You know, I love Knife Kits because Knife Kits gives you all the things that you need to build custom knives and to do it in a really cool way, whether you want to do it with conventional handle material or something exotic like the mammoth tusk knife handles uh, on the neck knife that I now wear uh, around my neck every day. Uh, whatever you can think of, you can find it at Knife Kits. And whether you're just getting started out and you need kind of a kit that's almost like kind of like a snap-together hit kit and you just kind of do the final sanding and finishing and stuff like that, or you want raw materials to, you know, to custom design and build your own blades and anything in between, you can get that at KnifeKits.com. Uh, uh, I also wasn't really aware of this. I never paid enough attention, but they actually have a hard copy catalog uh, which to me is much more convenient to browse than a website. So when you're there, you might want to go ahead and get their hard copy catalog sent out to you. Again, they're at knifekits.com, and the best way to get in touch with any of our sponsors, first go to the survivalpodcast.com and look for their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with an actual sponsor, someone that sh- supports our show and supports our community. Sponsor of the day number two today, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical gives you all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle. Uh, they have some really great equipment available to you, stuff like SOE Tactical Gear, manufactured by John Willis's operation. Of course, that's made right here in America, in fact, in Tennessee. Uh, Magpole Magazines and anything else you can think of from the tactical world, you'll find at Sawtooth Tactical. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and you're going to get dealt with squarely anytime you place an order from Sawtooth. And if you tell them that you found them on the Survival Podcast, they generally chunk something in extra for you. Sometimes a little hank of paracord or who knows what else. But let them know that you found out about them on the Survival Podcast and see if they chunk a little extra goodie in for them when you give them some business. Uh, next up today, remember to connect with me. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter are the best ways to do that in the social media world. Make sure you get involved with our form. And hey, make sure you check out our gear shop. We sold out of the brand new Ember Lit stoves like almost overnight. I know Tiff has another order on the way coming in right away. Uh, so you'll 
you'll be able to get those again soon. And there's all kinds of other cool stuff at the Survival Podcast Gear Shop. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and you'll see our Gear Shop banner in the center margin. Uh, next up, remember that the way this show is mostly supported is by listeners like you. If you think this show is worth 20 cents an episode, consider joining the Member Support Brigade and you'll be supporting the show and that's what it'll work out to, 20 cents an episode, uh, which is a pretty inexpensive price to support a show like this. But here's the good part. You'll also get discounts to over 29 vendors that sell the kinds of things that we talk about, you know, adding to our lifestyle every day here. From gardening stuff to tactical stuff to uh, long terms food storage and everything you can think of. I'd say about half or more of our sponsors do something for the MSB and there's a whole bunch of other companies that can't be sponsors because there's no more room and they do that. There's over $100 worth of free ebooks. There's some videos there that are available nowhere else. So to me, all of that has actually got a hell of a lot more than $50 worth of value in it. That's how I set it up. I made it that way on purpose. In fact, I want you guys, some of you that are new here to know that when I first started doing the show, in the first six months, I had people offering donations to help support the show and get it off the ground. I turned 100% of the donations down. One person even found out my PayPal email, sent me a donation. I sent it back. I said, thank you, but now is not the time. When I decided that we were going to put a way for the audience to put, put, you know, support the show into, the, into TSP, I decided it had to be done in a way that brought more value to every single person that participated than, than they spent. That's the only way to do business the right way. That's the American way to do business. That's what the Member Support Brigade is all about. And because it's all about America, if you've served this nation in the capacity of a law enforcement officer, United States military, or you've gone abroad as part of the Peace Corps to represent this country, I give you a national service discount. The only way you get that is you email me, give me the details of your service, just the nutshell details. I don't need to know every single thing you ever did. I don't want you to put that much effort into it. Just let me know where you were, what you did, what your job was, that kind of thing. And uh, I will send you a special discount code that will give you a better discount than anybody ever gets even when there's a sale. All right, folks, and uh, as I said during the introduction segment, I'm really excited about today's show. I've been trying to connect with these guys, and I think the Internet has conspired against us for a couple of months because they've been happy to come on, and I've been wanting to bring them on. But I've got one of uh, many uh, one of many of the urban farming guys on the line with me today, Mr. Jason Fields, and he's going to tell me about and tell you guys about what the urban farming guys are doing. And uh, those of you who have seen their YouTube channel and their blog, as I've put it out on the show quite a few times, are probably pretty excited to hear from them, too. Hey, hey, Jason, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, we love what you guys are about. It's an honor to be on the show with you. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. I mean, the first thing I ever saw you guys do uh, on YouTube, somebody sent me a video where you guys, it was like your intro video, your first one, uh, where you were just talking about what you're doing, and then I saw your biogas project, and I was like, i got to get these guys on the show. But for those maybe who haven't seen your channel or your blog yet, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are the urban farming guys? Yeah, the Urban Farming Guys is a network of pioneers, people from all walks of life, all around the globe, who are passionate about sustainability and sustainable community. And uh, at the core of the Urban Farming Guys is something very special you've seen in the videos. It's a living example of real people. Um, we call it the urban experiment, except it's not really an experiment. It's It's more our whole life. Over the last... 10 years, 20-plus uh, families have uprooted from suburbia and planted themselves in the inner city of Kansas City, each family buying a home within a five-block radius of each other in one of the most blighted, bombed-out, really, zip codes in the U.S. Just every other house is pushed over. And uh, these are people who believe that, that big government is not the solution 
but taking personal responsibility for the youth and the poor is the only sustainable way to lift our city up from the core, from the inside out. And uh, the major task is to rebuild with no funding, no programs, no schools to send our kids to. Uh, really, we're just working on dirt and passion, and we're seeing huge results. We've just in the last two years, we've seen a 20, 21% reduction in major crimes uh, in the Likens neighborhood in the 10 block by 10 block area. We get crime results, and uh, those crime results should be going up with the economy, and they're actually coming significantly down. So it, it's been an incredible journey. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, I kind of have been watching your videos and stuff and reading your blog posts, and I didn't really get until we started exchanging by email and, and getting some material together for the show how many of you folks there were. I kind of looked at it as like there's maybe one or two families there, but you've got 20 in the, young families, too. These aren't, you know, older folks that are giving back. These are, you guys are young, energetic people that are, are deciding you're going to make something happen. How did the 20 of you guys find each other? What brought you all together into this place of, you know, it really is a blighted area. I know exactly where you're talking about. There's there's certain areas in certain cities I don't want to go to in Kansas City, New Orleans, and a few other places spring to mind. And you guys went there and you're just you're just hitting it, you know, uh and and making something happen. What what got you guys kind of grouped together? What what drove this in the beginning? Yeah, it's uh you, you just don't get 20 families to just decide one day to move down to the into the urban core, it's really been a, a slow trickle. Uh, with this particular group, it's it started out 10 years ago in the Burbs, actually, out in Olathe, uh, with a guy who uh, who told his church, you know, we've got to we got to put our money where our mouth is. And uh, this guy Tim Johns, he bought a property down here that's now a block away from my house down here in the inner city. And it's just been a, a slow trickle after that. I uh, actually ran into Tim Johns seven years ago, total stranger at this coffee shop. And uh, I was uh, just writing down the vision. I just knew I had to move down to the inner city and give my life away for, you know, this cause. And um, he's over there talking to some other guy across the way, saying the exact things that I'm writing down in my journal. And I'm like, I got to go introduce myself. So I went over there and talked to him. And uh, within a month, I had rented a place down here in the in the inner city about seven years ago um, on the block. And, you know, about four years ago. You know, three or four really cool families moved down. Uh, you know, since then I've been married and my wife and I purchased a house down here that was just completely dilapidated on a huge piece of property because there were several houses that got pushed over. And, uh, we totally redid that. I mean, we got this giant house here for $20,000 and, uh, and we're hitting kind of a critical mass now where, you know, we're at 20 plus families and, we just the last two weekends have moved in two more families into houses that just closed. And last night I was just renovating a buddy of mine's house, three houses down. Uh, he got that for 10 grand. It was just totally, totally wrecked. But we're going to totally turn that thing around. So, I mean, and that's just pretty amazing. And I talk an awful lot at times on the show about getting out of the cities, you know, and I always say though, but if that's where you want to be, if that's the kind of community you want, then, then make the most of it. Sounds like you guys are really doing that. 
And I, I also think part of like why you guys are seeing the crime rate drop and all is if you move enough good people into an area, the work that they do and the stability that they provide starts to level things off. I mean, have you started to like see a lot more interest on the people that were already there before you came there, though, in what you're doing and, and saying, yeah, show us what you're doing and, and are they getting involved with you guys or, or is it just mainly your group kind of as an island or is it like, like an island that's branching yeah. out? Absolutely. You know, down here, it's not a us and them thing. We, we've slid in here so organically that you can't tell the difference between us. We are one with the neighborhood. We have come in and we've served the neighborhood association. You know, when we came in, it hardly existed, but we got behind the president here and, and his ideas. And we just, it's not two groups. It's really one. We're all neighbors here. And, uh, man, it's been absolutely incredible. It's really not that hard. One of the biggest problems with the urban core is fear where people are afraid, so they shut their window, they, they turn down the curtains, and uh, right next door, there's all sorts of all sorts of stuff going on, you know, prostitution, drug dealing, intimidation, stuff that is so easy to get rid of. You know, if you're willing to just walk down the street and look people in the eye, we've got rid of uh, two drug dealers next door in the last year and a half, and it was so simple. Uh, what's really changed this neighborhood around is having people willing to have eyes on the street. My wife and I have made a point to walk wherever we go right here in the neighborhood. It's just, uh, you know, we talk about 21% decrease in crime. That's in a 10 by 10 block radius right here on these two streets here, Myrtle and Norton. It's probably 85%. It went from a war zone. I mean, right after I moved in to the urban core seven years ago, you know, I looked out my office window and, uh, you know, there's gunshots and the gun's pointing right at me. Two guys are wrestling in the street and the guy shot the other guy in the leg. Uh, it's just a whole different scenario now. You know, I imagine in five years, people are going to come down here and be like, what do you mean the urban core? This is, you know, this is a nice area. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, paraphrasing here, but I believe the old quote is that evil, uh, evil is rampant when good men do nothing. Uh, right. And it sounds like when good men at least just pay attention, that alone has a massive effect. Huge effect. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the projects you're doing. One of the things I'm keenly interested in setting up at my homestead is an aquaponics system. So I was looking at the way you guys are doing it, and I was kind of leaning toward the whole flush and drain, grow bed type scenario. It looks like you guys are more doing like a kind of the deep water thing with the floating stuff. And uh, tell us a little bit about your aquaponics setup because I want to know, and I know the audience wants to know. Yeah, one of, uh, one of the things we're really – passionate about is sustainable technologies and, uh, you know, appropriate technology. One thing that's really appropriate around here is just to be able to find found materials. Um, we live really close to a, a scrapyard, and uh, it's actually one of the bigger problems in the neighborhood. But we've turned that around and made it positive and been able to find just found materials. We uh, A couple things we had to get on Craigslist, but the idea is to find – you know, stuff that you would spend four or 500 bucks on for 25 bucks, you know, 30 bucks. So we've been using these IBC totes, the 275 gallon tanks. We found a way to hook six of them up in a series. So we're able to have 2000 gallons of water. Uh, so we right in a really small space, about the size of your living room, we're growing a thousand fish right there in this system where you don't have to, all the re, all the water gets recirculated. Uh, using aquaponic technology, we're pumping the fish water through the filtration system that we built out of 55-gallon drums 
up to the plants and the plants are doing the last stage of filtration and sending the water back basically clean and producing a lot of the fish are producing a lot of organic fertilizer for us to send out to the garden. Yeah, because you're going at a higher density than most people do with aquaponics systems where generally the, the plants and the uh the media provide enough conversion of nitrite to nitrate and uh filtration and nutrient uptake by the plants that you don't have to remove anything. But you guys are almost every day getting a bucket of, of fish poo basically out of the bottom of you have like I think you call it a cyclone filter going on. Uh but but that is allowing you to kind of take up the production level. Now I got to ask you this. What do you guys do with a thousand fish a year? That's a that's a lot of fish. Is that just to feed, you know, like a, a sharecropping thing with these twenty families? Or are you guys actually turning that into some level of a a local revenue model now? Or, or that's a lot of fish. I'm looking to produce yeah. maybe a hundred a year for me and my wife, you know, and maybe some friends and some barter. What are you guys doing with a thousand? Yeah, I imagine we're going to get sick of fish after a while. But uh, yeah, we've done a lot of things like that where there's just a lot of efficiency down here where. Instead of spending a whole month or two to build a chicken coop, we team up with a couple families who are interested and say, "Hey, let's do this project together." You know, split the cost, bust it out, knock it out, and you know, we'll split the reward. And so now, instead of having to go out to the chicken coop every single day, you know, we only go out three days out of the seven, and you know, water the chickens and we split the eggs. Sure. Uh, same with fish. You know, we'll split them up between a few families who have who have really invested in this project but really it's a proof of concept we're doing a thousand fish to prove that we can go do 10,000 fish in sure. a much much larger system and the whole idea behind that is to build a sustainable non-profit farm so that uh rather than relying on grant money and other things we want to build our everything we do around the ability to pay for it ourselves Um, although we're a long way off and we could use some, you know, some startup cash sure. would go a long way. But, uh, but yeah, we don't want to have to rely on grants that we don't know are going to be there in two years. So. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that if you can expand it enough, you can eventually get it into, like you're saying, where it's self-sufficient, not just from a, an input standpoint, but from a financial standpoint as well. Eventually you have a yield that can, to, that can turn, maybe it's a non-profit, but it's a, a sustainable uh, cash flow that basically gets reinvested to continue to expand the project. And that can be a big part of rehabbing the neighborhood in and of itself. Absolutely. It's run totally like a business. I'm, you know, we use the word nonprofit, but it's, it's totally after the bottom line to get the money back into the, into the nonprofit to reinvest into the neighborhood. Now, what do you guys do to, like, support yourselves? I mean, have you guys just, like, cut your expenses to so little that you, or, you know, do you guys have full-time jobs? Is there enough in this to support yourselves with? How, how do you manage to, you know, live on a daily basis? Yes. Yeah, we, uh, we, are all about simplicity, whatever we can cut, just the idea of moving into a house that, you know, is a third of the expense you would have out in the suburbs is a huge deal, especially for young families. Um, so we're cutting our cost. We're making it simple. We're not having to work overtime at our jobs. We do, uh, almost all of us have nine to five jobs. I personally built a lawn care landscape business over a 10 year period and sold it which bought me some time to really launch some of this web stuff off and, and tell the story and get it out there. But, uh, yeah, eventually we're going to build this thing up to where we can hire a farm manager, hire me on as a farm manager, run that until we can, you know, hire somebody to take my place and keep pushing forward. 
See, and I think that's so important because I see a lot of people that get into these community projects and they do it all with charity money or all with grant money and they, they, they say, I don't want to make any money at all. I don't want any kind of salary at all. And to me, the problem with that is you're trying to build a sustainable agricultural system, a sustainable community, but you're doing it without a sustainable machine. Right. I mean, we have to be able to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and do things like that. And we can do a lot from the land, but there are certain things in our society that you know money necessitates. If nothing else, the property taxes on these 20 houses have to be paid. So I think it's really great that you're doing that. I want to talk about another one of your projects now, though, um, the biogas. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you're doing that and specifically what you're doing to create like a pressure containment system so that it can be stored and used? Absolutely. We are, uh, we built the biogas thing for a few reasons. One, there's just an excess of rotten food that just goes to the landfill around here. There's probably 25 uh, Mexican restaurants in the neighborhood and, um, we want to find ways to power our greenhouse. We're growing fish and plants year round. And with biogas, potentially, we can produce enough biogas to heat a water heater, to heat the water, to heat the greenhouse. And, you know, our prototype here, just by heating the water, our air temperature in the greenhouse this whole winter never got below 48. And we've got 4,000 gallons of liquid in the whole, in this little tiny greenhouse, which is like a heat sink. It doesn't. There's no spikes. Even when it was down, you know, negative five, it was still 48 degrees inside. So the idea is to heat the water with the biogas. Um, you put the rotten vegetables in. They churn around just like your stomach. They produce methane gas, and you harvest that off, and you've got to store it somehow. Uh, you can. One of the ways we're looking at storing it is by putting tractor-trailer tubes in series. So, and you know, with a little va- check valve, if one of them popped, the rest of them wouldn't pop. And another way we showed in the video is just by gravity, the gravity of the upper tank, you'd have to see the video, but the gravity of the upper tank sitting on the, in the water of the lower tank, it lifts up as, as the methane's bubbled underneath it, it lifts up. And then as it's used, the weight of the tank pressurizes it back into your house, into your cook stove, into your water heater, whatever you're using for. Uh, we bought a generator recently. We're going to ha- probably do a video on how to, to redo the uh, uh, carburation so it can burn methane. That's awesome. I want to put you guys and Stephen Harris together. He's kind of a guru of all things alternative energy and biogas and wood gasification and all this stuff. Um, but we had him on recently. He was talking about a system like you're talking about with your biogas. And the way that he said to up the pressure on that that double barrel system where you have one on top of the other is if you need more pressure, just throw another brick on top of the one on the top and it'll up your pressure. And I was talking about, you know, measuring the pressure and all. He said, go light the burner. And if the burner doesn't burn hot enough, throw another brick on there too. It does. And you know, you got your pressure right. And I think that's what I like about him. And I like about what you guys are doing. You're taking simplistic solutions to complex problems. Yeah, I'd love to meet that guy. Yeah, like I said, I think they'll give a little matchmaking for you guys. I think you guys could, could really help each other out quite a bit. Um, I also wanted to uh, kind of to talk to you a little bit about, I've seen all these videos about what you're doing, but what are you guys growing outside of the greenhouse, outside of it? Because I know you're taking all this big slurry of fish fertilizer every day. And, I mean, how many gardens are we talking about? What kind of production? What are you guys growing? Yeah, our gardens are kind of three-part. Um, just to walk the talk, all of us have got gardens in our backyard but, uh, you know, for our own personal use, but our, uh, together collectively, we purchased 
uh, 13 lots, and we've got three more donated from Land Trust right here together in the neighborhood. You'll find these areas that used to have houses on them, but now you've got 13 lots right next to each other that are totally vacant. So we picked those up, and it's the start of our nonprofit urban farm, and we're picking up more all the time, where we're growing vegetables potentially to go to market. We're, I mean, these pieces, these plots of land were totally overrun with trees and trash, and it was just a breeding ground for drugs and prostitution. It's been an immediate drop in crime. Uh, we just purchased these within the last year. So if you could see what's been done on some of the videos and pictures, it's just been incredible what's happened in one year to clean up that block. And now we're growing just any kind of vegetable you could think of. It's, it's a learning process for all of us. Um, and some of us are, are more seasoned than others, but there's two parts. There's a community garden where we've taken uh, and we built these uh, raised beds, 12 by four foot beds. And we've knocked on everybody's door and said, Hey, you know, would you like to adopt one of these gardens? And, you know, it doesn't cost anything. We put the soil in it, we build it, but it's your responsibility. If, you know, you water it, you weed it, we're going to put a plaque with your name on it, a little positive peer pressure, and it's your deal, your produce. And if they do good with it, we'll, we'll give them another garden. And, uh, it's really served well to, to gel our neighborhood together. Now, neighbors who, neighbors who would be, you know, holed up in their homes, afraid to talk to anybody, are now out gardening with us and getting to know, and now we're sharing information. It's just really been, and now the kids that are gardening with them, we've given them a plot. Now they're hanging out at our after-school art program, and, and now there's a village feel happening where instead of, you know, an isolated feel to the neighborhood. So it's three parts. It's our backyards, it's a community garden, and then the start of a nonprofit urban farm. You know, would you say that the people that have started to do this have like a new sense of pride and a new sense of ownership in the community? Absolutely. With that, uh, I had to let my dog out. Absolutely. Okay. No worries. We, uh, there's just a huge growth in pride. We actually called the program Cultivate Dignity. Uh, we don't tell them that. Um, but that's what we want to do. Rather, you know, we're not against food pantries and giving food away. We actually have done that quite a bit. But, uh, what we'd rather do is, is teach people to feed themselves. And, you know, it's just a 12 by four foot garden, but that little bit of education and, you know, them realizing that this is something I can do, then it, it turns out to be their whole backyard. And even the Department of Agriculture has been calling us up and saying, Hey, keep going, guys. This is awesome. If we can, just teach people to do this themselves, it can change the local economy. And how much production, I mean, if it, I mean, I'm sure everybody has different things, plants different things, has different levels of care, but how much food do you, do you say on average, if a person really puts a little bit of effort into it, you can produce out of a 12 by 4 foot piece of land? Yeah, there's, there's lots of numbers. I mean, when, when you're doing the square foot gardening, you can really, when you're doing the vertical gardening, you can increase your production, you know, standard average for farmers is, you know, 11,000 pounds per acre, which is not even a, you know, a pound a square foot or not even a fourth of that. But I think you can do well over that. Um, I don't have that number off the top of my head though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's significant. I mean, the big thing is that it's, it's, it's enough that once you get into the main part of the growth season, 
People can pretty much eat, you know, like a small family can eat something out of there every day all the way through the growing season. That's that's what I've always found. I'm less concerned about the total pounds per square foot and more concerned about the fact that even something small like that, from the time it's warm enough to work to the ground until it freezes over, you can eat something almost every day that you've produced yourself. Yeah, and we're planting three crops, and we've got an abundance of fish fertilizer and chicken manure. It's just, you know, we plant our spring spring our spring crop, and then we turn around and plant our summer crop, and again in the fall. So, what well, like you, this? I mean, this all sounds great, but I imagine as you've been doing this, there's been some really uh, significant obstacles along the way, some real challenges. Could you tell us about some, maybe some of those things? Man, it's it's been hard, but well worth it. I mean, any one of us who's started out as an idealist has quickly changed their mind moving down here. Um, you know. Right after I move in, a guy's broken in my truck in the backyard, and uh, that's a story for you. I I grab the totally wrong weapon. I grab an axe right by the back door and run out there, and I'm yelling, "Get out of my truck!" and <laughs> and, uh, and he doesn't hear me until I'm standing right on top of him, and he freaks out. He drops his cell phone, drops everything he stole from the last guy, and you know, I had mercy on him. I, I backed up and I said, "Get going." And I jumped in the car and followed him from a, a distance, and uh, we got him arrested. And the hard part is, is I show up to the show up to the courtroom, you know, thinking I can talk to the prosecutor and we could do customer or community service, and I could do half of his time with them, and you know, try to make a difference. And nobody shows up to court. There were seventy people on the docket, and only one lawyer showed up, and one guy. The rest of them didn't. Didn't give a rip. You know, they didn't care that they had a warrant on because there's, yeah. no, there's no beds in the jail. So, well, they also probably are, the guy's probably got four or five warrants already. So, what does he care about another one? What's he care? Yeah. So we've uh, we've had troubles. Um, you know, when we've got we've taken care of a lot of them. We had a real trouble with scrap metal. When I bought my house, it was completely tore apart. All the electrical wires that were tore out, all the copper, everything, and I meet the guy at the front door. He's pushing a shopping cart. You know, I'm looking to buy this house, and he, he says, uh, you know, I said, I was just bold enough to see, you know, this is the third time I came by my house, and he was standing right in front. So I just wanted to see what I was getting into. I said, hey, are you going to take that shopping cart back when you're done with it? And he goes, no, this is one of 243 models, you know, discontinued models that I've cut up and scrapped. And he says, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm looking at this house. And he goes, well, I'll tell you anything you want to know about this house. Hmm. It's got the radiator stolen out of it, the copper stolen out of it. You know, my job in this neighborhood is to bring down the property values, he said. Wow. wow. Well, that, that little sound bite traveled like wildfire through the police department and through the, you know, the neighborhood meetings. And I went to a neighborhood meeting and shared it with a local community action network officer. And that thing spread so fast that it got back around to him. And the next time I saw him, he goes, oh, you show up to the community meetings, don't you? I heard what you, you know. Anyway, he got arrested 14 times in a row. Like every single day they were arresting him for just walking in the street. Um, he finally found a new neighborhood to, to give trouble to. So, Wow. Yeah, what I also want to know is, have you guys had any kind of like direct resistance, like people that just don't want you there or, you know, anything like that? We're, uh, no, we've really just found a lot of the neighbors are just love us. We're, 
direct resistance, you know, I think a lot of drug dealers, it's just more profitable to move on. Yeah. They, uh, they just find another neighborhood. I, I ran into this guy at Quick Trip um, out in Raytown about, you know, 15 miles from here, and I overheard him say to his friend, hey, why don't you go back up to the northeast, northeast and move in with your sister? And he goes, oh, man, it's too hot in the northeast. Too hot. So <laughs> it's just not profitable here to sell drugs. Yeah, and I think that I mean, that's a big thing that people are concerned of. If they try to do an initiative similar to what you're doing, that they're going to have all this reprisal. But I've learned in a society there's a certain percentage of us that are going to be scum, and they just are, and they want to live that way. But they're lazy. That's what, part of why they're that way. So like water, they'll take the path of least, least resistance, and it's easier to relocate and start peddling your dope somewhere where no one cares. And I think that's why you get the area, like you're saying, like the results you've seen are simply because people actually care. As soon as people care, and as soon as people are going to stand up, as soon as people pay attention, it's like light and darkness. They cannot coexist for long, and the darkness flees. It's true. And you've got to be smart about it somewhat. You know, every now and then I'll see a guy walk into a backyard, and if I'm with my family, I'm not going to run up and, you know, expose my family. But if I'm alone, heck yeah, I'm running back there and say, hey, what are you doing back here in this yard? Mm-hmm. This is not your yard. And they move on. It's, 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 it's interesting how quick a lot of people will back down. There is a danger, though, and you're very smart to not put your family at risk in that situation. It's one thing to risk yourself. It's another thing to risk, you know, your kids or your wife. Um, can you tell us about maybe some of the other projects you're working on? Yeah, we're, uh, we've, uh, just got a heck of a deal from the city a few years back and got this old school building with, with seven classrooms and a gymnasium and a cafeteria. Um, yeah, you know, we pulled our money together and found a way to pay that thing off. Um, it's still, you know, still a lot of work to do. We've, re- we've renovated the uh, gymnasium, and now we've got some of the boys in the neighborhood wrestling in there. And this is their second year wrestling, and now they're starting to win some matches. It's really fun. We're uh, So we got the nonprofit urban farm. We're building up this school building. Uh, we really don't have a place to send our kids to school, so we're winging it. We're doing homeschool. We're uh, probably end up doing a co-op and, and evolve into a charter school, but we really want to, rather than put ourselves in a bubble, you know, we want to scholarship some of these kids in the neighborhood or, you know, draw a boundary and, and really build this, this village here. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a huge part is that, if kids grow up and they don't get a, a solid education, and, and I could go on for an hour about how that doesn't happen in a lot of places in America, even even with the flawed nature of the educational system as it is, there's still places where it's it's pretty good, and there's some places where it's abysmal. Um, so if you can kind of skin that cat at the same time you're doing all this other stuff, it's not just about empowering the current generation, but enlightening the future one. And the other thing is that the problem in a lot of these decayed areas is the kids that are good kids, that, that, that despite the odds stay good, that work their butts off, that get the education however they can get it and, and get themselves into a university or a college or get a trade, they leave because they don't feel like there's anything there for them. And, right. you know, the other, the other side of this is if you can build the community where they don't want to leave, and, you know, because it is an inner city area, there's the other parts of the city around. So there's, even if they don't want to do the stuff you're doing, there is opportunity there for them. So that's kind of like a really holistic approach you guys are taking. So this, this school you guys got donated, is that destined to be this charter school or is it going to be like a community center? What's its, 
what's its final thing look like that, that we eventually get to with it? It'll be an evolution. The the big thing is the kids. These kids are uh, there by the time they hit thirteen. Their biggest opportunity is in the gang. You know that's that's their only opportunity, and we want to turn that around. We want to build their resume. Resume. We want to have a. You know, we want to build a. You know, community cafe. Build some entrepreneurial things that they can. You know, do some job training. Eventually, get their first job and be able to go out into the marketplace and do well. Uh, there's just there's a lot of skills they don't pick up at home. So, uh, but yeah, eventually a school. If 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 we have to start out building a community cafe and do some entrepreneurial stuff in the building first to get there, then we'll do that and we'll probably grow out of that school eventually. Very cool. And I mean, you guys are trying to kind of do this all on your own, but I imagine you guys could use some help as well. Is there any way people from the Survival Podcast community could could provide you with some help? Yeah, Jack. Thanks for asking, man. A lot of the inertia has started. The ball's rolling. Uh, our whole idea is to empower people across the globe to do some of this themselves. And and then there's this neighborhood here. We are. We've run, we've run the numbers. What does it cost to create a job to get this thing rolling? Because once it's rolling, it ro- it rolls itself. We start creating more jobs with the income brought in, and uh, you know, and we're not waiting on the money to do it. But uh, an influx of cash will will cause an explosion in a good way here. So that's one thing. The other thing is just you know, follow the story, inspire others, share the videos. Very cool. Um, I'll tell you, I just found your donate button and uh, set up to give you a donation of ten bucks a month, and uh, definitely endorse with your what you're doing. So anybody else out there wants to uh, consider doing that, you can find that on the uh, urbanfarmingguys.com, and I think it's definitely a good uh, cause to be supporting. Uh, what are kind of your plans for the future? I mean, if you if I gave you a magic wand and said you have the 50k, the 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 money came in and you can build this into exactly what you want it to look like. What does your neighborhood look like five years from now? Five years from now, we have a uh, a functional nonprofit urban farm with a 10,000 fish aquaponics system, some high tunnels a farm manager that's hired and he's running the thing and he's creating his own income with the produce he has there. The uh, We're able to put hundreds of volunteers to work also. So, you know, that alone is going to just blast it forward. And we'll have the start of a community cafe um, to, we're already sort of a tourist attraction, but we think we can, you know, draw in a trendy crowd to, to come to our coffee shop and there be a, there's a marketplace right there for our fresh vegetables and that kind of action, that kind of momentum forward changes everything. So that's, that's going to be what you see on the outside. On the inside, you're going to see kids whose lives are, are taking a new path. You know, um, as I look at this, I, I think about the, the work that I try to do every day, and I try to tell people that, yes, you know, that our name is The Survival Podcast, and we do prepare for disaster, we prepare for emergencies, and we look at things like our current economy, and we realize the ineptitude of government, and we realize that there could be uh, anything from a natural disaster to a man-made catastrophe, but 
most people that come to that mindset initially come to it with a very outsider's view of I need to take care of myself and I need to store food and I need to have all these supplies and and there's there's a place for that. But if you look at it the way you would, let's say if you called a fire uh, fire professional, fire uh, like a fire chief or somebody out to your house and said, "Tell me what to do if my house catches on fire. What is what plan should I have to get people out of the house? How should you know set that up for me and and help me put it together?" He'd say, "Great, I'm happy to help you do that. But first, I'm going to give you 20 ways to, to to set this up so that the house doesn't catch on fire in the first place and and to prevent the fire. And then I'm going to give you some things you need to have in place so if a fire starts and it's minor." You can put it out yourself before your whole house is engulfed. And then if those things fail, then we'll fall back to here's how everybody gets out. And I think if we start doing more and more things like you're doing, these things like food shortages and economic crises and things like that, when they do occur, because they're going to happen, it's like having a fire retardant sprayed on your house. Yeah, there's some flame, but not necessarily everything goes up in smoke. And this is a, like a highly, not just a better way to live, which is what we're all about here, but a highly preventative measure from spiraling down into an abyss from which there is no return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and no doubt we've got people uh, on the ground at 100 miles, you know, out from Kansas City who are kicking butt, growing lots of, you know, food, who are farming, who are who are just, you know, ready out there, and they're with us, you know, in a time of need, they'd help us. But uh, we want to be a breadbasket ourselves. We see just a ton of resources, a ton of land. Heck, I've got five acres, you know, two streets over that used to be a housing area that can totally be turned into agricultural. There's just a lot of, a lot of way to turn it down, turn, you know, turn it around from the inside here too. You know, and that's what I wanted to kind of finish up asking you about. Do you guys see this as like, okay, this is what you're doing, and this is your community, and this is where you're taking your stand. But it seems to me you're doing so much to, like, you're not hiding any of your knowledge or anything you're doing, you're documenting, you're showing, you're giving it away freely. Do you want to see this kind of like islands like you popping up all over? Is that really the bigger goal? Absolutely. We want to empower people all together. And, you know, it takes money to do that. If, you know, if I don't find a way to get sustainable, then I'll be busy in the nine to five and we're not sharing any information, but, but, uh, you know, find a way to do both, find a way to empower people. And, uh, you know, cause charity, charity just isn't sustainable, but find a way to do both. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Well, uh, Jason, I mean, I can't thank you and, and the other 19 families in your own family enough for what you guys are doing, the information you're sharing, the work you're doing, the results you're having. And I'll tell you, you have a friend in the entire community of the Survival Podcast. And whenever you have something new or an initiative or anything, or if you just want to come back on and talk about stuff you didn't think of today, let me know. You are always welcome here. Jack, thanks so much, man. It's been awesome hanging out with you, talking with you. Uh, next time I, I got to bring some of my pals on. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. Oh, one more thing I want to ask you. I almost forgot. Um, I have people all the time emailing me and saying things like, I'm trying to figure out how to financially afford that homestead, you know, that, that two acres, five acres, ten acres. Um, and, and a lot of times the, the conflict is, well, I have a really good, good-paying job in the city, uh, but if I find something out in the country, it's too far away to make the commute, and then I can't make the money anymore. It sounds like if people really put their nose to the grindstone and are willing to make some sacrifices, there's a lot of affordable land 
real close to these cities where these people are working, uh, and maybe instead of driving driving through there, if you want to bite the bullet, it could become if you'll turn it around a good place to live. Yeah, the land here is dirt cheap. I mean, we're picking up lots for five hundred dollars a piece, and wow. uh, you don't want to do this alone, and you want to do your homework because you know five drug dealers versus one is is difficult. But if you if you only have one drug dealer to kick off your block, and you and another family have bought a house, and you get involved in the neighborhood association, and you're moving forward, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, I think there is strength in numbers. Well, again, Jason, uh, thank you for taking the time today to come on the show. Jack, thanks a lot. All right, folks, and with that, uh, we have wrapped up today. And uh, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Jason Fields of the UrbanFarmingGuys.com, helping you figure out how to live that better life at times you get tough, or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Someday we'll realize our truth